Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome to episode 31 with Ashley Buggy. This story is really powerful. Just sitting in the emotion of what you went through, sitting in the emotion of knowing that her kids don't get their hug their dad anymore, that her youngest will never know who their dad is. It was a very powerful episode for me. Brought me to tears when I was recording it. And it's, I know it's going to bring a few dads home and just recognize the true awesomeness that it is to get to hug your kids every night. And I often talk in podcasts that if you have lost a friend in the military, live your life as a dad worthy of their sacrifice. Because if they were a dad, they don't get to hug their kids or their dad anymore. So always reflect and be the dad that is worthy of the sacrifice of your friend not coming home and the worthy of the sacrifice of them never being able to say, I love you, dad. And like I said, it's a really powerful episode. I'm not going to dive too much into it because I just want to get right into it here. All of her links are in the show notes in the bottom. If you, links to her website, her Instagram, if you want to subscribe to her blog. She really, I was checking it out after the interview and she's really did a lot of great uh, blog posts on there about her travels through Europe. And also the link to the Facebook group for Military Veteran Dads where we're doing life together is also down there. So don't forget to check that out. And if you want to give any feedback on this episode or any feedback on previous episodes, go ahead, drop me a DM on Instagram at, at Ben underscore Colloy. Or I'm on Facebook or on Twitter at at Ben Colloy. I'd love to hear what's what you think of the podcast, where you think I could take the podcast, what ideas could improve the podcast, and just overall what you think of it. So without further ado, let's get started with Ashley Buggy. Today on the show, we have Ashley Buggy. Ashley's motto is just enjoy. As she follows her late husband's advice of living life with no bucket list. If you want something, go for it and make it happen now. In 2017, her husband, Brian, sailed their 36-foot sailboat, Stay Gold, to Hawaii as a fun and challenging way to move on military orders. He passed away in the same waters less than one year later during a scuba diving training class while Ashley was pregnant with their third child. She is currently writing a book on her experiences navigating widowhood while raising three young children. Shortly after her husband's passing, Ashley was inspired to share her journey on a blog, Turning Tragedy into Triumph which has encouraged and motivated readers from around the world who has been following her family's story of adventure, love, and tragedy since Brian's sailed Stay Gold across the Pacific. Recently, in honor of her husband, Ashley started the Stay Gold for Brian Buggy Scholarship Fund, which supports and encourages military veterans to utilize scuba diving as a form of rehabilitation. Scuba diving was one of Brian's greatest passions, and she wants others to have the same opportunity to find themselves underwater. Ashley hopes that by sharing her experience, others are able to come out of a tragedy with hope and feel inspired to turn their pain into a legacy like she is doing with Stay Gold for Brian Buggy Scholarship. Ashley, thank you for coming on to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Go ahead and describe what your family looks like right now and any gaps of that intro you want to fill in for us. Yeah, so um, my immediate family, I guess, my three kids, my now 11-month-old, 
my, her name's Adeline. Uh, my three-year-old, about to be four-year-old next week. Four-year-old going on, sorry, four, oh my gosh. I've got too many kids, you know, and you don't even know how old they are. You've got too many. Uh, 11 months old is Adeline. Four-year-old going on five-year-old is Isabel. Uh, and then a three-year-old Hudson. And um, that's the crew. <laughs> and it's all girls, correct? If uh, Hudson's a boy. So the three-year-old, he just turned three. Uh, he's a boy. And then we call her Izzy. She's my almost five-year-old, one of 15-year-old. Uh, her and Adeline are the girls. It's just like uh, my kids. My oldest is a girl and my son Dylan's in the middle with another crazy girl on the as the youngest one. <laughs> yeah. All fired They're a handful, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So your story, when I first read about it, uh, really hit me. And you're the first Gold Star family member we've had on the podcast today. And when there is the... The first question I think we should we can dive into is when you think of what other Gold Star families go through. I know your husband didn't die in uh, die in like combat or uh, well, like um, it was more on a leisure activity. Mm-hmm. But that activity, as you we were talking before we got started here, kind of left a hole in your heart. What did that hole feel like a little bit and? Talk about how you wanted to move through that, that dark side of that place you were in. Yeah. So um, Brian and I, our entire relationship, I guess you would say, uh, was based on adventure and fun. And like you said in your opening statement, you know, this notion of no bucket list, that there's something that you want to do. Now is the time to do it. Take advantage of every opportunity that you're given um, you know, you never know, tomorrow's not guaranteed. You never know what's going to happen. So, you know, throw away your bucket list and just live your life and, um, take advantage of those opportunities. And so Brian and I did that and we really made a point to put that in the forefront of, for ourselves and of our relationship. And so, um, things like sailing our sailboat across the Pacific Ocean on a PCS move, um, scuba diving in places around the world, traveling the world with very young children in tow. Um, you know, we've, we've received a lot of, I'll call them looks, but comments, things like, I would never do that. Like, why would you do that? That's crazy. Things like that, that maybe it wouldn't cross somebody else's mind to do, but there are things that we wanted to do and are important to us. And, um, all that to say, uh, scuba diving on a rebreather was a challenge that Brian wanted to um, to learn. He wanted to to participate in it and figure it out and have it be his next great adventure. Um, and a rebreather is basically a really complex uh, piece of diving equipment. It's a lot different than the open circuit recreational things that we see. You know, when you see pictures of scuba diving. Um, and so he was in a training class. Um, it was recreational. It wasn't part of the Navy, um, but he was in a training class and unfortunately passed away while he was in the class. Um, so to answer your question, what that looks like or felt like, um, you know, we, we'd been, he'd been in the military for uh, nearly 15 years at that point, 14 years. Um, and we'd gone through 
numerous deployments together and he, he worked on submarines. So he'd be gone six months at a time and I'd have literally no idea where in the world he was or when I'd hear from him, when I'd see him, if he was in danger, you know, every phone call you get, it, that's a number that you don't recognize. You worry that that's going to be the call. If you knock on the door, um, you know, when your husband's deployed or your spouse is deployed, you think you're going to open the door and there's going to be the white suit. It's a very real, uh, a real worry for military spouses. I think around the world, they, they go through that. Um, so never in a million years did I think that while we were on our first shore duty tour in Hawaii, um, would I get that phone call or answer the door and there the white suit? Never did I imagine that. Um, but unfortunately that's what happened. So what it felt like was just indescribable, honestly. I mean, to say I was heartbroken, to say I was um, sad or devastated just doesn't, it doesn't describe don't. it. And they don't. Um, I, you can picture <laughs> a movie scene. Um, if you can picture the saddest movie scene you've ever witnessed of a pregnant woman running across an ER parking lot to find her husband has died uh, and then holding his hand and kissing his blue lips, you know, that's, that was my reality. And um, over the next month that I was in Hawaii trying to figure out where I was going to go and what I was going to do, trying to explain to my one and three-year-old kids that they're not coming home, um, trying to <laughs> explain what death is to them, trying to explain why so many people are sad, why I'm sad, trying to figure out how to do all of that um, and recognize that I'm not alone in that. You know, there are gold star families around the world that suffer these same tragedies. And um, honestly, like talking to other people who have been through, obviously not something in of you get it. Like you have been in that deep, dark place before you understand how sad, I'll call it sad, how sad, um, how sad I was and how sad I am and how sad you were. And uh, you just feel like those are the only other people that understand how you feel are those that have lived through it and gotten to the other side. Was it instinctful for you to reach out to the mill spouse community or was there initial almost like shame that you went through? I honestly, I didn't reach out. I started writing um, maybe a, a week or two into it. Um, after he had passed away, I just started writing. I was the only thing that I could think of to do to get these thoughts out of my head and out of my heart and out of my system as I needed to write them down. Um, I needed to write down the memories that we had. I needed to write down every story I could think of. Because at that time, I was thinking, I'm going to forget these memories. These memories are going to fade. They're going to change. They're going to distort over time. And my kids will never know their dad. Their dad. He was, sorry, they were three, one, and then my, new, my uh, baby I was pregnant with. Obviously, I won't even have a picture of the two of them. Um, but my kids will never know their dad. And so it was really important for me to start writing and to just capture every memory I could think of so that at some point they could look back and read these stories and get an idea of who their dad was. Um, and so anyways, I started writing and then I started publishing them online for other people to read because there were people grieving 
around the United States, actually around the world, the diving community is very small, the sailing community is very small, and the military community, especially the submariner community, is very small. And there were people mourning him around the world. And so my, I'll call it a gift, I guess, my idea was to just start writing down stories to share with people. Um, and as I did, people were responding and were reaching out to me. Um, and so that's where I, I received messages from a couple other Gold Star spouses uh, who had lived through their own tragedy um, with their spouse passing away. Um, I just felt compelled to reach out and talk about their own experiences and offer their support um, and their help, you know, with things that they had used, resources they had had um, to help get through it. And it was phenomenal. I mean, I can't speak high enough about the Navy itself and what they have <clears throat> done for me and my family over this past year, um, just the community of families that have supported us, but specifically the Navy itself has been, they've gone above and beyond in every sense of the word. What they don't teach you in life and what uh, you learned there was uh, that, in, especially in 2019, where it's not as societal norm to openly talk about what you're feeling and, and what's really holding on your heart, that the world yeah. is waiting for others to go first to tell their story. And when someone like mm -hmm. you tells your story that's so powerful, you lessen the load that you're carrying around by your writing, but then you ultimately knock down a wall that someone else had and allows them to share the load that they're carrying on their heart. And with dads, I often, we'll often talk about the podcast that, uh, that in the military, they tell you if you can't lift something, you just don't have enough members trying, that you just need more people. And I've equated that to life that you're not meant to carry everything that life gives you, that you're meant to share the load. And that's ultimately what military dads and veteran dads struggle with when we transition out is that we don't find that community to share the load with what we're carrying on our heart. We think we have to do it alone. And that lone wolf never survives. That lone wolf in the pack is the one that dies. And you need that community to share that load. And that's essentially what you created by holding that, uh, by, by your writing and just sharing and going first there. Before he passed, there's a question that we always ask on the podcast for dads. What does it mean for you to come home? What did coming home for you as a family look like before he passed? Um, Either from a deployment I mean, or a daily basis, however those words resonate with you. Yeah, we were a military family. And so as every military family can attest to home is where the heart is really there's no hometown there's no um home I guess you you know you'd ask like where where home is for me now and I told you in the Pacific Northwest that's not where my family is that's not um you know like a traditional sense of home but home for me and home for Brian and home for our kids where wherever we were all together um coming home you know, Brian traveled a lot for work. He was usually gone two weeks of every month uh, and then deployments for six months at a time. So we spent a lot of time apart, um, but we made the best of it. Anytime he had to travel for work and it was um, either to a place that was okay for us to travel to with him or um, a place that he could take some time off on the back end, we would travel with him. So our kids had traveled to five countries, you know, before the age of three because he had to work in Japan, for instance. And we said, you're going to be gone for three weeks. That's three weeks we could potentially be all together. 
so we booked tickets. Thankfully, I had a job that I could travel with. Um, and we went to Japan for three weeks and spent, you know, our home then was Japan because we were all together. Um, he was attached to a submarine for a while based out of Hawaii before we moved there. And so uh, my daughter and I, we would fly over at least once a month to go see him and spend a weekend there. Mm-hmm. For us, it was worth the sense of being all together for the cost of a plane ticket um, because home, again, was just wherever we all were together. It didn't really matter where in the world that was. It was us making memories and having incredible experiences and taking advantage of the opportunities. We weren't a family to sit around and say, I wish things were different or I wish um, our, our um, situation was different we were the ones to say, okay, these are our circumstances. Let's figure out how to make the most of it. And we really were able to do that as a family. One thing that military dads mess up most that we've talked about a lot in the podcast is when we come home from a deployment or really any time away that's longer than a week, we transition into the household incorrectly to almost try to take control back over. Yeah. You have in unique insight being on the other side what are some of the things that you enjoyed the most as a military spouse that your husband did when he came home that other dads should incorporate into their life? Yeah, there's definitely that adjustment period. <laughs> I actually write about that in my book. And we don't often respect <laughs> yeah. that you don't need us anymore when we come home. And that's not always easy for us to accept. No, that's not true that we don't need you. We absolutely need you. Um, but there's definitely just the need to become self-sufficient while you're gone and to figure things out and to make things happen. Just because you're gone doesn't mean the world stops at home. Um, The best things were always just the time together, the laughs, the sitting down on the couch and just having each other be there. Um, The the ability to now, you know, try to plan for the future (laughs) Um, trips or things to look forward to nights out. Um, the best advice I could offer to dads coming home is just be patient. Um, be patient. You know, it's, it's hard on everybody. It's an adjustment period for everybody. Your spouse has, has been doing everything in their power to keep things going as they were, um, before you left and doing as best they could. And now you're home and, you both had a hard time out there. Nobody, you didn't want to leave. You, they didn't want you to leave. That's not a good situation for anybody. But again, it, it is the circumstances. So you just have to figure out a way to get through them and make the best of them. So just patience and communication, talking through it when you're upset about something. No one's a mind reader. Talk it out, figure it out, and don't go to bed angry. <laughs> I like that. There's, we've often talked that, uh, coming home, we need to approach with a sense of curiosity that you met, you probably did do stuff while you were gone that was horrible and you probably need to talk to someone but that generally isn't your spouse who you need to talk to and approaching your household just with a curiosity of what life was like, like just asking questions, exploring, hearing stories of, of trial that you went through, the hard day, figuring out what mm-hmm. your kids went through, did they have a bad day at school? And that's kind of what you're talking about there is just being present, figuring out what it was like, be patient. Um, you both had struggles and to come home, you really need to meet your family where they are, not to try to bring them where you are just because you're ready to light the fire and get back going with the family. 
everyone else yeah. needs to retransition back to that. So you really need to go all the way to wherever your family is mentally and emotionally, figure out what that is, and then go forward together with them. Yeah, absolutely. And I would even say just altogether, it's not completely one-sided of you're coming home, so now you necessarily have to meet them right where they are, and now it's okay. But just figuring out the new normal altogether. Um, like I said, when, when Brian would come home from deployment, you know, we had lived life for the past six months, um, and there was a lot that he missed out on. For instance, uh, he came home from a deployment once, and my daughter had turned one. Uh, Izzy had turned one and had started walking, and Brian had said, you know, within the first week, he's like, you sleep in. I know you've been working hard this past six months. I've been gone. I'll get up with Izzy and, you know, get a massage this morning, whatever. And I came downstairs. I slept in. I oh, it's amazing. Thank you. I slept in, came downstairs. And Brian was in a panic because he didn't realize that Izzy could now grab things and pull things down. And she had grabbed a cup of hot coffee off of the table and pulled it down on herself. And he was so freaked out. She was okay, but he was so freaked out. And it's like, I'm not going to get mad at him. It's not his fault that he wasn't here to realize that she could now do that. Mm -hmm. But we had to come, you know, come together and say, okay, you missed a few things while you were gone. Yeah. <laughs> You're upset that you missed, you know, this happening. You missed her first steps. You missed her first words. I'm sad that you missed that, but it happened. And let's figure out this and move forward together from this new spot. So I never thought that it was on him to meet us where we were. And he never expected me to meet him where he was. It was, this is our new normal. Let's talk it out. Let's figure it out and go forward from this joint place together. On every episode, we talk about and remind dads, because dads, we often try to make it more complicated than it has to be to be fa a father. And we call them time bombs. At kid, and remind dads, it's kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And that's the most simplest thing that you need to remember if you really want to just connect with your child, that yeah. all they really want is your time. And that's how they measure that whether you love them. What are some of the simplest ways that your kids, uh, or the simplest things that your kids love doing with you that you're often amazed at what they really truly enjoyed doing with you. Oh my gosh, literally anything. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Um, I am one person now and I am their sole uh, provider and they want my attention 24 seven. So I mean, literally anything as simple as, okay, Hudson, it's your turn to go get the mail with me today. It's a four-step walk to the mailbox, but it's one-on-one -on -one time with one child, and it means absolutely everything to them. Uh, I, we're overseas right now and uh, took an Uber ride, and I took turns with the kids in the back, the back of the car, and even that was like, mom is sitting next to me. It's my turn to sit next to mom. Just they want that one-on-one -on -one attention with literally anything just knowing that they are your your uh they have your attention your undivided attention so yeah it's stuff that you don't think of but absolutely and it's that's the stuff the they, they remember years later that you're like really that's what you picked out of that memory <laughs> like you you'll, yeah. you'll you'll get back to the states and you'll ask them like what's your favorite memory of europe and it'll be like what because we just got yeah. Florida, and I asked my daughter this question, who's three, and she said the marshmallow cereal we had for breakfast. 
because that's what they no, had every morning for breakfast. They usually don't get it every morning for breakfast, and they love the marshmallows out of there. And Cute. my son, all they wanted was a pool. That's what they were. That's what they loved about Florida the most. That we had a pool at our condo, and yeah, it's not all. It's not the ocean view. It's not all the the grandiose things that you think that are going to happen. It's we liked jumping in with you, Daddy, in the pool. Like that was all they yeah. wanted. Yeah, absolutely. We I try really hard. When before Brian passed away, we did, we had a well, we only had two kids at that point, but we uh, made a concerted effort to do boys' dates and girls' dates. So every Saturday morning, we woke up and Brian would take Hudson and they'd go on a boys' date, and I would take Izzy and we'd go on a girls' date. And we still, I still do that now with each of them. I take Hudson and says, "Mom, I'm going on a boys' date, boys only," and it's me and him. It's the cutest thing. <laughs> And then, you know, Izzy and Adeline and we take turns going on little one-on-one dates and they don't care where we're going to go to the grocery store or Target or Starbucks or whatever. It's just, they want, they want the boys date and the girls date with mom. So one thing that we talk about on the podcast is that somehow the voice inside our heads is dads and active and is uh, veterans convinces ourselves that our family is better without us. And that the part of the, one of the reasons why I started this podcast was the, the 22 veterans a day that kill themselves every day. And I really wanted to focus on the dad in that number that to wake dads up to recognize that their family is not better without them. What would you tell a dad out there who's thinking those thoughts that, uh, that their life, but their family would be better without them. Do you have any message you want to share with them to wake up? Yeah, I mean, as somebody who is now a solo parent to children that have have no dad, I can tell you that's absolutely not the case. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, how you view yourself or what you're going through. It's how your kids view you. And um, there's just no way, <laughs> there's no way that, that, uh, that your kids would be better off without you in their life in some capacity, or at least having a dad, even if if um if it's not in you right now, uh, it's it's not that way forever. Um, mm-hmm. I personally didn't have a relationship with my dad. I can say for about ten years, and I really thought that I would never speak to him or see him again. And ten years later, uh, Brian and I got pregnant with Izzy, and all of a sudden it was like, all right, who cares? It doesn't matter anymore. Whatever the past is the past. Let's figure this out and let's move forward. And um, I can say that it, the opportunity is always going to be there to build relationships with your kids. They're always going to be your children. You are the only dad that they have. Um, I would give literally anything in the world for my kids to have their dad back. Uh, and unfortunately I can't, but you have the opportunity, uh, to not have your kids go through that. And like I said, even if you can't handle being a dad right now, at some point you will be able to, and, um, your kids need that for sure. So it's been almost a year. How often do you still have to talk your kids through that dad's not coming home? All the time. Uh, in fact, yesterday we were souvenir shopping in Warsaw and uh, Izzy, my four-year-old, said, I want to get a magnet for Dada. And I said, what? And she said, well, 
just because I love him so much, I want to get this heart magnet because I think he would like it the most. And I had to stop. I'm, I'm, I said, okay, absolutely. I think he would have loved that heart magnet. I'm not going to tell her no, but I have to stop and kind of think through like, we've had this conversation a hundred times now. She understands he's not coming back. So is this a gesture of love because she loves him and misses him? Or is this some now more confusion about the finality of death and passing away? Um, and then Hudson, he's, he just turned three and he doesn't understand the concept of death yet. He was only one uh, when Brian passed away. And so he's kind of losing the memories of dad. Um, and he certainly doesn't understand like that he had one and, and now he's passed away. He's going to be growing up more in the, I just don't really have a dad thing. Um, but for, for a long time, it was my dad had passed away. Um, but then, you know, a few days later, he would say, can we FaceTime Dada in the ocean? Or, or when we go to Hawaii, can he meet us at the Brown House? Um, so there was a lot of back and forth of she knew the words, he passed away. And, but mixed with, but can we go see him? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we still talk about it all the time. And we talk about how much we miss him. And we do things to celebrate. Like we celebrated his birthday with cheesecake on the airplane <laughs> over here. We celebrated Father's Day by going out on the water. Um, you know, we, we celebrate everything for him. We put a stocking up for him at Christmas. Um, I don't want them to lose the memories of him and know that he's, regardless of the circumstances, going to be a part of our family forever. But I really want them to understand. I don't want there to be any question that he's coming back or can't or not coming back. Like, I need them to understand this is a final thing, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we can't still love him. And that I've heard stories of kids who did lose their dad to suicide. And one of them was 10 years old when he dad killed himself and he was 36 and he's like, I'm 36 and I'm still dealing with it. And it leaves a scar on their heart that never can recover. And in this case, there's a scar, a a different kind of scar, but it's not maybe a scar. It's more of just a hole of a gap that they don't know how to put words to. That's just not there. That there's not the symbiotic parenting relationship of both fatherly and motherly love to fulfill. And now you're trying to fulfill both and your son who's looking for some type of hero in his life doesn't have one anymore. And you've got to try to find that hero in you to show up for him in the way his dad would have, but then also the nurturing mother that he needs when he needs that uh, nurturing mother for him. Yeah. And just the questions, I mean, that I, I won't be able to answer, you know, his actually Brian, Brian's dad passed away um, one month before Brian did. His dad got pancreatic cancer and passed away, passed away six weeks later. And then Brian died one month after that. Those were the last buggy sons, the last buggy boys. And um, so family questions of, you know, my family lineage, Hudson's going to have questions about his dad and his grandpa and they're both gone. And I don't, I don't know the answers to those. And Brian's mom and sister might, or they might not. And so even things like that, they're going to really, the kids will struggle with um, not knowing part of their own family history. And, you know, Brian didn't die by suicide, but the kids still lost their dad and there's no opportunity for him to come back. And, um, 
yeah, there's just, I don't know, <laughs> I get emotional because it just sucks for the kids. That's their, that's their story. My dad died when I was a kid and I'll never get to know him. And, and they'll never get the change. They'll never like a lot of times when we, even as adults and I'm 34. So there's certain things in your childhood that are stories that you tell yourself about high school that are just, you program as your narrative, but those are things that hold in your back, but you can't yeah. change the narrative that your dad died. That is literally part of something in your life. And if, as it holds you back, maybe you can't change it. And it's an entirely different thing that you have to figure out how to move past and move into a life that you can love versus one that you regret that your dad wasn't there while you grew up. Yeah. There's a, something we talk about in the podcast and it's been really my, one of my big uh, takeaways from interviewing dad so far is that we get hung up on our legacy of our service that we spend, especially even while we're serving or active, that we focus on that when we're active, our service is a noble sacrifice. So we put a lot of energy in that. And then when we transition out, maybe we lost a friend or maybe we didn't lose a friend like I did. But I, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out what it meant and then what, what just pondering what it meant in general and what that legacy of your service meant. And ultimately, I, I think what prevents dads from coming home is we don't transition our le from a legacy of our service to a legacy of our family. You have the, the opportunity now with him being gone to take it upon yourself to craft the own buggy legacy. Have you given any thought to how you want the legacy of your family to be carried forward through your kids? Because I remind dads that uh, our, the best chance we have to make an impact in this world is with our kids and how we shape mm -hmm. our legacy and what they do can be generational if we structure it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. I think about that all the time and I hope my actions are speaking louder than my words in that regard because um, Brian definitely left a huge legacy behind of adventure and opportunity and this no bucket list mentality and I am doing everything in my power to live my life that way and to live um, to promote that lifestyle with my kids and our friends and our family and anyone else who will listen all of you <laughs> listeners um, I am trying to really push that concept out there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I started this um, Stay Gold for Brian Buggy Scholarship Foundation because there's absolutely a fine line between um, your passion and your drive and your career, your motivation for having this incredible career um, and, and service to our country. I know it's more than just a career, but there has to be some balance with your family and your personal life as well, not just your family, but yourself. And Brian was somehow able to grasp that concept and he really gave each of us and his family and his service and himself um, the opportunity to thrive. And that's really been my motivation in putting the scholarship foundation together is really giving other military veterans the opportunity to find a passion for themselves uh, outside of their service and find it for themselves. You're not going to fulfill your family or your country or your service if you're not happy and thriving as an individual. And so um, Brian found that passion in sailing and in scuba diving. And um, so I started a scholarship foundation for military veterans uh, who want to learn to scuba dive as an outlet 
um, or a form of rehabilitation or just something to give yourself uh, outside of your military service. You guys work harder than anybody on the planet. You work longer hours. You sacrifice so much of yourself and your time um, to really give us all this, this incredible opportunity and freedom. And you need to take care of yourselves too. And if you can find something um, that you love doing that brings you hope and brings you fulfillment, you need to take advantage of that and you need to do it. And um, yeah, that's why I started the Scholarship Foundation. Absolutely. Let Brian's legacy live on. Oftentimes when we get, when dads get focused on their service, it's, we, we treat it almost like a credit card that we can just keep borrowing from our family's time and we'll just catch up at some point. And eventually the credit card debt gets so high that, and, and the emotional credit card debt in this case, that the marriage isn't sound, the, the relationship with the kids isn't sound, and then eventually it, it ends most likely in the divorce. And mm-hmm. you hit it on the head there that you, you need to find that balance with family because there is only so much you can borrow. And I like what you guys did where you knew that you were going to make a, a withdrawal from the emotional bank account when he would go away and you would get creative and try to find out ways to be together and to not have that withdrawal be so significant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where there's a will, there's a way. And if you want to make it work, you know, you might not be able to just fly as a family over <laughs> to where your spouse is, but you can certainly FaceTime or Skype or write old fashioned letters or something Brian did on one of his first deployments was record uh, himself reading books to the kids um, so that I could play them these videos of him reading a book to them. And then he mailed the book home so they would have it. So just even little things like that, that make you feel still involved and still a part of it and have your kids and your family um, feel like you're there with them, even though you physically can't be there. That those little things just mean everything. They make the, the absolute difference um, in that time away, which is unavoidable, unfortunately. And you, when you were talking and describing your legacy there, it really hit me what your husband did without really knowing it. Is he knew in his heart and was really connected to who he was as a person and his philosophy, and really lived his life by that motto, he essentially gave you and your your kids a playbook for what to, that really like uh i was I was tearing up as I was thinking about this thought that he if it, it the best way that your kids are going to be able to connect with their father that in many ways they won't truly have long lasting memories other than a picture maybe that connects them to a moment they'll be able to resonate with who he is by living life in the way he did. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Without question. Uh, that is the number one thing that I want these kids to know about their dad is that he wasn't a superhero, but he was an incredible man who really just lived his life in a really, really cool way and that it's possible and you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to, um, live in a world of I can't or maybe someday. No, you need to live for what you want and what's important to you. And yeah, without question, he he ingrained that in me and that's how we lived our lives and our relationship. And that's how we were raising our kids uh, right up until he passed away. And that's how I'm trying to take over the torch and raise them by myself. And there was a, 
Navy SEAL Andy Stumpus came on the podcast and he gives the advice that uh, gives your kids the widest view of the American dream as possible as you're raising them. And oftentimes American society says that you just need to send them to school for 12 years and that makes them a good adult and they'll know what they want to do at the end. They can go to college and but that American dream is you go to college, you get a job that you think you want, but you don't really know. And you get a degree for something that they told you you needed to have. You start a family, you get a car, you get debt, you get student loans. And then you're 30 years old and you realize you've got two kids, a mortgage and a house, and you got a job that you hate. And now you, you feel like you're, you're stuck. So yeah. I really took it upon myself to make sure that, and I was even thinking as we were in Florida last week that I was like, what will this experience of them seeing living in a week in, in a condo on the beach, which most people have never even seen the ocean in the United States sometimes and live in their entire life. Like what will this memory at such a young age, how will that seed grow in their mind of what is possible for their life and what they want to do yeah. when they grow up. And even for you, when as you're traveling through Europe this summer, like you're planting seeds in a garden that you never get to see grow, which was one of the best ways I've heard legacy explain that you're giving them experiences that you have no idea how that one random person, maybe on your travel inspired an entire new thread to be weaved into your, into their life. Yeah. Without question experience to me, the gift of experience is the best education that I can offer my kids. Um, education is very important to me you know, they're going to go to school, uh, they're going to be educated people, well-rounded people, but um, I don't think that that looks the same for everybody. And to me, it's more important to, um, well, for instance, we're in Poland right now, and we went to Auschwitz two days ago. And as I was telling people about our trip and, and the things that we were going to be visiting and explaining why we chose the places that we're going to go to, um, you know, I was met with a lot of resistance of you can't bring kids there. Why would you bring young kids there? Um, they're too young to hear that stuff. And maybe for a lot of people, that's true. But I am so open and honest with my kids. And I don't really shelter them or hide stuff from them in that regard. Um, I want them to understand things. And I want them to have a good education and to not be... Um, hidden away from real life. I want them to understand that this is what happened. This is why it happened. This is how we prevent it from happening again. And I just think that letting them experience that and, you know, I use kid gloves when I explain stuff. I don't use, you know, things, concepts that they're not going to understand, but we use things, I use things like, you know, how Dada passed away last year well, these people's family passed away too, and this is why, and this is what's going on. Um, and so just exposing them to real life experience and situation uh, is the best gift and education that I can give them, but giving them something to tangibly correlate these ideas and these concepts to, um, you know, instead of sitting in their fifth grade classroom seeing a picture of the pyramids, I want them to see the pyramids in real life in Egypt and know what it tastes like and smells like and feels like, what the people look like, you know, how hot it is there to give them this real world example of what that means and what that looks like. I think that that's the best thing that I can do for them. 
And you're doing something that uh, I think also dads have a role to play in their fa- in their kid's life is you're giving the words to what they're experiencing from you. You are the first mm-hmm. person to explain something to me, to them. It's, um, it's not someone else in the playground explaining what sex is. It's yeah. or what evil is, or it's not a bully. Isn't their first exposure to what evil is or what, pain feels like that they've been exposed to that in a way that you articulated it in a way that now they're gonna be that fifth grade when they learn about um world war ii and the concentration camps that they're gonna raise their hands mm-hmm. and be like i was there like that's yeah that's not something you can take lightly with for a kid to be able to say that when they read about something and now connect a memory of being there and now putting additional words to it when they're capable of understanding it that is what we is a huge role of what fathers and parents play in their kids' lives is, and we often shepherd away from it that we need to be the first voice in our kids' lives and make sure that they understand and almost demystify a lot of things because we were traveling through the airport for the first time to Florida, and my daughter was like, "Why is there airport security? Why do we have to empty everything out? Why do we have to have everything yeah. scanned and I didn't really go into the idea that people are trying to hurt planes or that planes crash or yeah. I don't think she really realized the gravity of that when we we're up in the air at 30,000 feet that planes don't always make it back down. But like, these are things that as they experience life, they're wondering and um, it's up to us to help be the first voice to understand what that is because someone else will do it and mm-hmm. it's never going to be the narrative you want and they're going to come home asking questions that you weren't ready to answer. And it's already too late at that point. Absolutely. Even something is, you know, we were standing outside of um, the town plaza last night waiting for our car ride home. And there was a little boy in a wheelchair next to us. And Izzy pointed and said, oh, why is he in a wheelchair? And I thought about it. It'd be much easier to just say, oh, honey, don't say that or don't point, you know, brush it off and quickly move aside it takes time to explain not everybody looks the same. Like everyone has something, some scars are inside, some are outside. Everyone's gone through different life experiences. Sometimes that means you end up in a wheelchair. Some people are born with disabilities that that land you in a wheelchair. To me, taking the time to explain that to a four-year-old, even though they might not get the entire gist of what you're saying is much more important than you're right. Them going to school and hearing, you know, snide remarks about somebody in a wheelchair or bullying about somebody in a wheelchair and then thinking that that's okay. Instead, I would rather have her know the real reason that people are in wheelchairs or that have disabilities um, and, and being that voice to her and giving her the reality of that instead of hearing uneducated remarks uh, elsewhere. The uh, there's a a speech that I heard that, uh, And I'd use this to teach my daughter kindness. And she always, she understood what kindness was, but I don't think they understood exactly how to take action on it. And it's a, be the rainbow to someone's storm. That like teaching my daughter that uh, storms, rainbows only come after a storm. And when you see someone in a storm, be that rainbow. And the reason why you can't find the pot of gold is because someone else is the rainbow for you. You can't find your own pot of gold. And she's always understood that. And when I first started teaching her that we would talk about every night of like what rainbow she gave away. And one day she gave away. A double. 
And it's those simple moments that you, you would cement that, uh, what you talked about there with the, the kid that everybody has something and everybody needs a friend. And, um, we went to play, play at the playground where she's at school and they have a, a bench and there's, it's called the buddy bench. So kids sit on it if they need a buddy. And I was, was helping her. I was asking her if she ever, um, helps a friend that's in the buddy bench. And she's like, no. And then she, but sometimes she's sitting in the buddy bench and I was trying to explain to her that these are opportunities to make new friends and everybody deserves a friend. And she's only seven. So it's still very early on, but these are, basic threads in the overall fabric of how she'll interact and either be afraid to interact with people that need a friend or push away. And um, I can say from my childhood, I wasn't that guy that would always reach out. And I was the, the shy one that just kept to himself and was afraid to make a friend. Um, so trying to thread that into her life now is, is important. And I have to ask, and when you, you went to Amsterdam, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Amsterdam being the stereotypical place that people think about, did, was there any awkward moments that you had to explain or was it pretty normal European <laughs> stuff? Um, no, not that I had to explain. I mean, the smells, I guess, Izzy was like, ew, what's that smell? And I thought it was a special cigarette. You know, everyone walks around smoking weed and you, you can smell it everywhere. But I wasn't about to. She wouldn't grasp that concept of drugs at four years old. I just said it was a special cigarette. Um, and she can't she read yet. That, that would have been worse. Yeah. My seven-year-old can read. So she's it's, it's horrible <laughs> when they can read because literally everything around them, they can start dissecting. And I can imagine yep. billboards in Amsterdam would have been like, why is that billboard that, mama? Yeah, so she can actually read now. She oh. learned uh, this past school year. There, I, I don't think we saw any billboards. Um I don't think we actually saw anything super inappropriate. I think the, the funniest thing we had to explain was the, what's Does that the smell? smell? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Amsterdam was an interesting place. That was the first stop on our tour. So uh, that was a fun one. If there's a parting piece of advice you want to leave for dads or a message, what would it be? Um... Hmm. <laughs> I would say, I mean, the most important message that I have for everybody across the board is to find your passion and to live your passion. Um, especially, I know you, you speak a lot to military service members or past veterans. Um, so don't, don't count yourself out in all of this. Um, you know, give your family credit for what they're doing, but give yourself some credit in there too. Um, and be able to talk or try to talk. If it's, if it's not to your spouse, find a friend, find somebody you can talk to. I can tell you from my personal experience that finding people who had gone through something similar to what I had is the only thing that helped get me through, one of the only things that helped get me through uh, losing my spouse. And uh, it's not comfortable to reach out. I get that. It's awkward and it's um, just uncomfortable to say, this is me, I'm putting myself out there. But I can tell you uh, it's worth it. It's worth it to find somebody that you connect with that just gets it and gets you and um, that you can talk to about whatever. Um, And then also to uh, find something that brings you 
joy and brings you happiness outside of your family and outside of your military service and outside of your work if you're working now. Uh, find something that you can call yours that you look forward to that makes you happy that um, brings you joy and maybe share it with your family maybe share it with your spouse um, or maybe don't let that be your thing but I think having something that's yours that keeps you happy keeps you motivated and keeps you excited about life and tomorrow and what's going on is so important and that's the best advice that I can give. I don't think we dove into it too much. What would you classify your passion as as you redefined yourself on the other side of losing your husband? I mean, definitely travel. Uh, Travel has always been my biggest passion. Seeing the world, seeing things that I know not a lot of other people get to see or experience. Um, I was telling you earlier, when I was in a very deep, dark place after losing Brian, I needed uh, something to pull me out of this, something to look forward to and something to motivate me to get past uh, this just deep, dark sadness. And um, for me, it was travel. It, what was the most extravagant, crazy thing that I could think of doing um, to look forward to after losing him. And it turned into a two-month trip across Europe with three very young children. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm calling in here from Warsaw, Poland, we head to Switzerland in a couple of days uh, and then on from there. So we're doing seven countries in two months with the three young kids. And I've got two of my really good friends with me on the trip. Um, so definitely, definitely travel. It was, it, it's always been there for me. I'm never going to regret spending the money on uh, experience and education and making memories um, around the world. Never regret that. I like everything that you just said there. And when it comes to redefining yourself, what's going to be next after, after Europe? Yeah, you're the second person that's asked me that. And I don't know. I don't have a good answer for it yet. It's almost I feel like a, a lot of pressure question. for something. <laughs> it is. Whenever you do something it epic, is. you're like, what's next? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in the process of writing my second book now. So when I get back from this trip at the end of August, that's going to be my focus. Is um, you know, I'm I'm writing about my life since since losing Brian. So the second part of uh, the day he passed away and up through this trip and the ups and mostly downs uh, of this past year. And so I'm going to really just kind of focus on everything that I experienced here, digesting it. What did I learn from it? Uh, what did I gain from it? Who am I now that I've returned from this epic journey across Europe? And then I'll put some thought into <laughs> what or where is next. But uh, we'll see. The only continent I haven't been to is Antarctica. Uh, I don't have a bucket list, but if I did, that would probably be the only thing on it. So there's potential. Our next visit will be me calling in from <laughs> Antarctica with some penguins around me. Last question that you inspired there as you were talking about Europe. Uh, what's something about yourself that you weren't expecting to find in Europe that you did? I think just um, I found my confidence back. I, I really struggled after Brian passed away with a lack of confidence. Um, how am I going to do this? How am I going to raise three kids by myself that are so young with a newborn in the mix? I just really struggled I'm, I've always been an overly confident person. <laughs> I've never struggled with confidence before, um, but it, it broke me. I was 
I was almost done for. And um, I think just being here, you know, so I've had so many naysayers of you can't bring three, three kids across Europe for two months. You just can't do it. Why would you do that? Don't do that. Members of my own family are saying, I don't understand why you would do that. Um, and it's okay. They don't have to understand. It's not for them to understand. This is for me and my kids. And I think I have just really found my confidence here. Um, you know, kind of saying, what now? I'm doing it. <laughs> like, yep. you, just because you, you're not going to do it doesn't mean I'm not going to. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it well. And my kids are still really productive members of society. <laughs> really well-rounded kids. And um, yeah, I think that that would be, be my biggest takeaway up to this point is uh, there's nothing that I can't do. There's, there's honestly nothing in this world that I don't think that I'm capable of doing. And as Americans, we just don't do enough time exposing ourselves to, we're, we're, we're creatures of patterns and that's what capitalism is and which consumerism creates is you just, you go to Target every week and you do your reset yeah. on the weekend and then you go back to work and that's your life. And I've read a statistic that only uh, 20% of Americans have a passport and only 10% of Americans actually use it. And it's ultimately yeah. what why people can't understand why. And I, I absolutely would want, I'm, I'm part of the group that wants, would love to go. My wife's a teacher. So our life is perfectly set up to go on vacation for two months in the summer. And just, we, uh, we were when in Florida, I was thinking, I was like, we could easily just park in Florida for the entire summer and that be our summer vacation and just have memories for two weeks or two months. And yeah, and you'll, I'll, you'll never regret later in life when you're 50 man, I really wish I would and have go to Europe that time and use that money for something else to have a house that I don't yeah. really want and stuff in your house that you don't need. And those memories are irreplaceable. Without question. People say, you know, I can't afford it. And, you know, that's probably true for a lot of people. It's, it's not cheap to travel, but there are ways to do it inexpensively. And if, if you can bring your family afford to Disney World for a week, give me me a call because I can get you to Europe for a week with the same budget. <laughs> down, I'll be your personal. I'll take you up on that uh, offer when I get there. <laughs> do it, please. But it's true. Like people are are afraid of what they don't know. I think is what it comes down to. They're afraid of the unknown. Um, one of the girls that I have traveling with us, she was she's a friend now, but she was the kid nanny when we were living in Boise, Idaho, um, and she had she didn't have a passport when I called her and said, "You want to go to Europe for two months?" And she said, "Okay." Uh, do I need a passport? <laughs> and she had never had plans of leaving the United States before. She probably would have been perfectly content living out the rest of her life in Boise, Idaho. Um, but now she's had this opportunity and it's thanks to Brian, honestly, we're only doing this because of what has happened. Um, so yeah, she's with us and she got a passport and she's traveling now. And she said to me a couple times, like, I never realized how easy this was. I feel like I could come back here and do this. Like I want to bring my family here now and show them some of these things. So it's absolutely accessible travel in any capacity. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't have to be Europe for two months, you know, go, go to a ranch in Montana or go see New York city or go to the coast in Florida and anywhere you go that's away from home is going to be special and it's going to make memories and you're going to learn something like you said about yourself from it uh, and about your family as well. And it's, it's absolutely worth the time and the energy and the money to do it. All right. You inspired one more question. I promise to be the last one. Uh, <laughs> how, what, when, when your husband was alive, 
what did you guys dream about being, what was life after service plan for? Was this, is this essentially what the, the game plan was always? Yeah, we had, so he had about, well, he commissioned as an officer in August, 2017. And that meant he had 10 years uh, left in the Navy. And so um, the next 10 years we would spend alternating between shore duty and sea duty. We would do a lot of traveling as we always had. Um, and then we had kind of two two different plans. One was to move to Ireland <laughs> and let our kids do high school in Ireland and do a lot of traveling around Europe and um, use that kind of as a hub just because it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. Um, and then the other plan was to open a dive shop and he was going to teach uh, scuba diving uh, and we would run a dive shop or he would run a dive shop and um, we would just keep living life having the same types of adventures and just that reminds go me until of the, go the guy that ran the dive shop in okinawa where i first got scuba dive certified and it was uh just a guy that loved it he was in the military he got out over there started a dive shop and yeah the rest was history yep, that was that was the dream he wasn't great with business we, we owned a couple businesses <laughs> Uh, over the years and he wasn't the best business manager but he was good at doing he was the doer and I was the planner <laughs> and, and, and the dreamer it sounds like a little bit yeah <laughs> exactly he was the idea man yeah he, well, actually, he had a I lot loved, of ideas <laughs> I absolutely love this conversation it uh, got me to tears during the conversation and if people want to follow your blog what's, what's the best way to connect with you yeah, just going to my website, ashleybuggy.com, uh, A-S-H-L-E-Y-B-U-G-G-E.com. Uh, or you can find me on Instagram, ashley.buggy, uh, on Facebook, ashleybuggy. And I'm all over the place. I'd love to connect with anybody out there in, in any walk of life, any any capacity. I'd love to talk to you um, about anything. I, obviously, from the past hour I've been on here, I like to talk. <laughs> So please reach out. Um, and you seem like a very open book as well. Absolutely. At this point in my life, I have no secrets. I put my life out there on my blog. You can read about me, about ups and downs, about funny stories, about the crazy things, the happy, the sad, it's all out there. So there's really not much uh, at this point that I'm not willing to talk about um, or that people out there aren't, aren't willing to talk to me about. So there's a good chance if you've been through something or felt something or um, had a hard time or struggled with something, I might not understand the exact circumstances, but I could probably connect with you on some level about the emotion. So please feel free to reach out. Please say and hi. You understand and the uh, process. So the process is the same for many similar emotional events, even if it wasn't a death. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ashley, thank you for coming on the show. I really enjoyed this, and I am positive that this brought a few dads home today. Good. Thank you so much. That's a wrap, and thank you for listening to today's show, and I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.